Oh boy, we're off to a great start. Here we go, starting now. <laughs> yep. Welcome to Couch on Fire Podcast. The fucking ghosts stopped the recording. They're, they're fucking around with our computers. I am Rob, that is Griffin, and this is going to be the summer of horror. See, it, sound, it does, probably sounds like nothing to you, but with me over the music sounds great. I just stopped the music, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, yes, summer of horror. Couch on Fire podcast presents summer of horror so basically what griffin and i are going to be doing uh is the same thing we always do mini series but we're just going to be talking about horror all summer long because what's better one of our favorite genres yes and what better to do it than in the fucking heat because we hate the heat Mm because we're big men yep (laughs) so everybody's pissed off ready for blood it's perfect time to talk about (laughs) chopping people up and fucking bears in the woods and all that kind of shit it's gonna be great you know it's funny you uh if you go back in history and look at the times and dates of all the like uh, serial killers, it's usually fall, winter, and spring. Never summer. Well, besides mm-hmm. the summer of Sam, that's the only one. But it's usually. Oh, that was the son of Sam. Son of Sam. Was it yeah. in summertime? I, th- I thought it was in summertime. I could be wrong. I don't know. I, don't know. I, th- I think it was for a good little bit. Like it was for a couple years. Yeah. But... Well, like yeah, when when it when it when it goes years, most of their killings though are in nice weather. They don't want to kill mm-hmm. in the heat. They don't want to be hot. You know? Yeah, it's like they got shit to do, man. They got yeah. jobs to work, you know. They got bodies to cut up. They got shit to do. They don't got time to be walking around. Exactly. And all that heat. <laughs> but anyway, so one of the things that we were going to be doing in the next in the next couple episodes, um, we're going to be talking about the different decades of horror. And then we're going to dive. You know, we did this before, but we're going to do it again. But we're going to do it better. And I hope you're ready. We're going to talk about best directors. We're going to talk about best horror movies. We're going to talk about, you know, upcoming horror movies. All these good stuff this summer, and I'm pretty excited. But today, to start this whole thing off, we're going to talk about our favorite writers and directors. I guess you can say slash producers, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, maybe. Yeah, we'll give it a look. We'll give it a try anyway. Yeah. Um, but... Would you like to start off? Or you want me to start off? Well, let's uh, let's just pick a random name out of the fucking hat. Um, <laughs> I will, I will, Gee. I will start off with one of the forefathers of horror. He is not well. See, it sucks. I I consider this man one of the forefathers of horror, not because he was a director and not because mm-hmm. he was a writer, but because he was an actor. But he has produced before. So I'm going to start off with uh, Mr. Vincent Price. Do you know who Vincent oh, Price is? Yeah, I was about to say, we're off to a great start. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> might be before my time. Okay, well, this is way before my time. I mean, you, I'm, not as, I'm not that fucking old GM. Jeez. Right. <laughs> anyway, Vincent Price, um, I'll, you know, I'll let you Google it for a second. I'll wait. I'm just oh, joking. <laughs> no, I mean, he was like the voice of Thriller. You ever heard that song Thriller by Michael Jackson? He did the Hell no. He did, Oh my god, how old are you? <laughs> like you have not No. No, I, I remember it was actually it was a traumatizing memory back from when I was a child. You know, they okay. used to play uh, music videos on VH1 yeah. and MTV and shit. And I distinctly remember I was so young, I can't even remember how old I was, but I was walking, I was kind of waddling past the TV and I looked and Michael Jackson, yeah. the Thriller music video, was on TV. 
and he was just doing all this like weird gyrations and he was doing like the little zombie thing where he jumps up on the tips of his toes and it scared the living shit out of me. I burst into tears, ran out, and I've <laughs> never listened to anything from Michael Jackson because okay. I was fucking terrified of him as a child, quite rightly as it turns out. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, I, you know, a couple podcasts ago, I did a review on Leaving Neverland. Yeah, you mm-hmm. should go check that one out. Um, anyway, yeah. not, well, he did the monologue in that. He does a lot of, like, uh, monologues. The original ha- Haunted, The House on Haunted Hill, he did mm-hmm. the monologue for that, and he started it. He, he was in a lot of horror movies in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, 70s and 80s, he dabbled here or there. But I think if you look at it, he was, you know, which he he just, he he was one of the forefathers of the horror thing for me. And it's just like when you hear his voice, I, I challenge you, if you haven't heard it, look up Vincent Price monologue and just listen to his voice. And you'd be like, that's horror. That, you just mm-hmm. instantly know that's horror. And it's cool because I think he got his start with working with, uh, the real director of the very first, to me, one of the first directors of horror, which is uh, Albert Hitchcock. So oh, yeah. that's my segue into Albert Hitchcock. So you at least, well, you at least know Albert Hitchcock, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but my, my primary question about Hitchcock would be, is he really a horror director? Or is it more of like a psychological thriller with a lot of his, well, his what, movies? What's the difference? Well... Like uh, that's actually a good fucking question. <laughs> well, because like, if you think about it, like even like to to me, a psychological thriller is is horrifying to think that like I can be trapped in a box, but am I really trapped in a box? That's that's mm-hmm. scary. Or like you know, I, I think the main difference is the intended emotion that you're supposed to feel. A thriller is more a feeling of constant tension, of waiting for the string to snap. And horror, like if you're suspended over a chasm and you're walking along in the string, you know, tension, a thriller is walking across that string, not knowing whether it's going to snap or not. To me, horror is walking across the chasm. You're already halfway out and you see the thread starting to snap. You know what's happening. You know what's coming. And the inevitability kind of adds to the, the horror of it to me. That could just be complete fucking gibberish, but that's well, I mean, that's my definition of the difference. That's I mean, that's your opinion. I mean, to me, mm-hmm. all right, so here's a movie. It's a modern movie. You should know this movie. It's called Signs. Have you heard Signs? Oh, Christ. Yes, um, I've seen Signs. Yes, okay. Now, we're not here to grade no movie. So don't, I know mm-hmm. you're, I can hear it in your voice. I'm not here to grade yeah. the movie. I would say that there's a scene in that movie that is so horrific that made me sick to my stomach. So to me... In that movie, it's not a horror movie. That is not. That is a psychological, weird alien movie, sci-fi movie. So mm-hmm. that's why I ask you: Is there really a difference? Because it fucks with me so much. That literally, there's a scene. I'm, I'm just gonna spoil it now. There's a scene where Joaquin Phoenix, the brother, is sitting in front of a TV with a fucking aluminum foil on his head, seeing something, and then all you see is him like drop his jaw and then cover his mouth and look back. And then you see, and then you see, and then you're like, "What the fuck is this? What the fuck is this?" Then you see on the screen this alien who looks so human walk across the screen, and to me, it messed me up because every alien movie I've seen before, then all the aliens look weird. They got tentacles. They all able, you know, that looks so realistic, like it could really be true, and it kind of it fucked with me. And so to me, that's to me horror is a combination of what you were saying. But it's also a combination of um, some psychological shit. 
Well, real quick, if I could, if we kind of segue into a slightly different variation on that topic. I know you were talking about the the aliens and signs freaked you out because they were almost human. Yes. But not quite. Would you say that it's scarier to have a horror antagonist that is not remotely human at all or one that's like basically the closer to human, the scarier they are? Well, so now we're now we're talking about like. I get what you. I know where you're going with this. Because yeah. <laughs> um, you obviously you know my feelings on the matter. We've talked about it before in a. I think the first horror podcast we ever did. I said you know, the closer someone is to a human, or being an actual human like a serial killer, the least like the less invested I am in the horror of the movie. Because I know people. I know what people can do. If you see like something from my favorite horror movie of all time, which is John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. You see that fucking thing coming out on the autopsy table, you don't know what the fuck it's going to do. Well, you don't I th- know what the hell's going on? I think it's Sorry, a, I'm cutting you off. Go no, ahead. No, no, I was going to say I just think it's a combination. I, I just I like I said before, the same thing. Okay, so going back to Albert Hitchcock, but it's also answering your question. So look mm-hmm. at the films that he did. Okay. So Birds, right? That is a it's not a supernatural. There's no aliens, but it's an animal that's attacking mm-hmm. people. And you know, there is no heroin and an antagonist because it's just an animal that is attacking people so i you know so that's that's an animal that's supernatural these birds just went crazy but then if you look at one of his other films one of the most known notable films the first slasher films what they say is psycho and that's mm-hmm. a straight human that's straight psychotic person that um you know so i think both of them can be scary to the right people like I can be like I aliens don't scare me. That's that's why that that whole scene was weird. With the, you know the sixth sense. So alien that whole thing really doesn't scare me too much. Um, honestly, with frighten me frightens me the most. That's sci-fi ish is if the world just like decides to drop and all gravity end. But that's that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother time. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, but what you're but I do agree with you. I'd rather see someone that is me you know like i like to see that's why so many like us and get out these two movies just came out recently and it's like okay the strangers these are these are different movies that are most popular now purge things like this these are things that are not supernatural but these are people just murdering people mm-hmm. so so it's it's yeah. kind of like it's something that can happen in real life and that's yeah. the scariest part about it for you yeah so but albert hitchcock um He's number, you know, I wouldn't say he's number one on my list because, you know, it is before my time and it's really hard to look back at that. But he definitely, um, he started the movement. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So uh, who you got? What's a, it could be a writer, could be a director. Who you want to talk about? I would say my favorite horror director in terms, well, obviously, you know, other than John Carpenter because I don't want to just be boring and say the same movie over and over again. Yeah. Um, He's actually not a horror director at all. It was one of the few horror movies he ever made. But I'm a big fan of what Steven Spielberg did with the Jaws. In okay. taking this, in taking this inhuman thing, because a lot of times the creature features of like the late '70s, early '80s, and stuff, their primary goal was just being cheesy, fun schlock. You know, you see like the giant piranhas and dogs and shit. You know, cutting people up and and killing people and oh it's it's a cheesy thing you go to the movies on the weekend you know you have fun and they make a decent little bit at the box office he took this one shark film put so much time and effort and energy into it people were getting their fucking legs broken they spent so much money 
had stuff that didn't work, and they played it completely serious. There was no laughs, there was no comedy in that whole movie, and it was fucking terrifying to watch as a child. Anyone who tells me that they didn't jump during that scene underwater with the diver in Jaws, they're fucking lying. I, I do not believe them. Wait, you know, it's crazy. You, you mentioned Stephen King. Um, I, I think every good director should always do a horror movie. He also, didn't he do Gremlins? I don't remember, but that would make sense. Uh, I'm pretty sure, that at least Gremlin 1, um, I'm going to try to Google that while we're talking, but I'm pretty sure he did He did Gremlins. I know and, he did E.T., that might be what you're thinking of. No, I, I know he did that, and Close Encounters of the Third, time, third Kind, and that's very, um, that's, what is it, that's very sci-fi-ish? Mm-hmm. But let me look up Gremlins to see. Um, but yeah, but anyway, I think every director should, every big time director should. Uh, I'm sorry. Should at least try, you think? Yeah. And yeah, because that's the thing. You know, it, it seems like horror is almost going the way of the Western. I know I've mentioned this before, mm. where it had this big resurgence in the 70s and 80s. It seemed like everybody was doing a horror movie. And now, a days, there are still amazing horror movies being made. You know, it's definitely, it's not the death of the genre, um, but it feels like it's so long in between decent horror movies. So long between something that, like, legit changes up the genre and makes everything, like, is a huge box office success and everything. The only time we can have box office successes that are horror movies is when they're, like, cross-genre things. Yeah. Like, I know Annihilation, uh, a couple years back, that was pretty successful. But that was more of a sci-fi kind of adventure mystery film than it was a straight-up horror movie. Even though some of the scenes in there were legitimately fucking horrifying, one of my favorite creature feature scenes of the past ten years was in Annihilation. Um, and anyone who's seen the movie knows what I'm talking about. I'm going to try and not spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Lucky. Have you seen Annihilation? No, I have not. Oh God, boy, <laughs> that needs to be on your watch list. Well, you know, um, well, not well. First of all, Stephen King—I mean, Stephen King, Steven Spielberg—produced yeah. Gremlins. It was his, uh, mm. it was DreamWorks, or his, yeah, his little thing. He was not a director, but he did produce it. Which to me, if you're producing, you're still going to be involved because it's your, mm -hmm. you know, your name still brought to it and everything. But no, we've talked about this before. I know I need to see a lot Annihilation. I know. Yeah, my, my two big recommendations, the two things I would most recommend that you see as far as horror movies go are Annihilation and then there's another film called Hereditary that I've also mentioned to you a couple of times. <laughs> and by mentioned, I mean I won't shut the fuck up about it until you watch it. Well, I will watch it this summer. I actually, I have it now. I own it. Um, oh, good on you. I want to watch it when we do the recap of the... 20th 21st century of horror because mm -hmm. I want to talk about I want to give you my peer like as soon I want to watch it and then do a, a podcast with you ah well just it's still to, fresh on your mind just give you a peer like what the fuck did you just make me do yes <laughs> alright and I have a distinct feeling that's your exact reaction <laughs> um well oh man I'm getting sidetracked but I do want to tell you one thing there's there's it's been all over the web right now there is a horror movie that's on Netflix that has everyone it's been making people sick watching it mm -hmm. so i am very intrigued i'm gonna have to check this out i'll tell you at the end of it 
um, what it is. But before that, okay, so Steven, Steven Spielberg. Okay, mm-hmm. so let me see. Let me go next. Um, I'm trying to pick ones that are good that aren't the obvious, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just it's kind of hard, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my man Rob Zombie in there. Ooh. That makes that makes a certain kind of sense. You know, I'm. You I know. seem to like him a lot more than I do. <laughs> well, what don't you like about his uh, his film making stuff? Okay, so you never seen a House of a Thousand Corps, have you? No, I have not. Um, and you've never so you've seen Devil's Rejects. Yes, I saw the Devil's Rejects and then the first of the Halloween remakes. All right, now the Halloween remakes. I think the Halloween. I think the original Halloween that he remade. It, well, I wouldn't even say he remade it because he took the regular storyline, but he also added some shit. And I think he made it of his own. So that one was good. The second one was the second movie I've ever walked out in the middle of. And I'm a huge that Rob Zombie fan. Huh? It was that bad. Um, but I mean, you know, I. House of a Thousand Corpse is a sick and twisted mindfuck, and I, I enjoyed it. So obviously, I liked The Devil's Rejects. Now, The Devil's Rejects, the tone of that movie is a is a one eighty compared to The House of a Thousand Corpse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the plot of A House of a Thousand Corpse. It's just, you know, it's just tourists show up at a place, and Captain Spaulding, the bald guy, usually just says, "Hey, you should go over to this house," and it's this house of torture. It's literally just everyone just fucking torturing people left and right. And, um, yeah, and then the police come, and they, and they run, and then that comes to the second one. Now he's coming out with a new movie, which makes no sense because ev- the, everyone died in The Devil's Rejects, so I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. But I like, I like his vision. I do. I like everything that Rob Zombie does, and I think that a lot of – I liked White Zombie. I like his music in Rob Zombie, and then I like mm-hmm. his movies. I think it's great. Um so yeah, I think he's he's up there for me. I wouldn't say in the top three, but he's definitely up there for me. All all I'll say, the only real criticism that I have of Rob Zombie is he doesn't seem like he wants he knows what he wants out of his movies. Because um, at least from the Devil's Rejects, when I watched that, it couldn't decide whether it wanted to be like a like a black comedy or yeah. a super serious horror movie. Like it kept flip flopping in between the two, but I can, not in I a. I can see that. I can see that. It's like I'm down for either, but you have to commit to one or the other. You can't just keep like jumping back and forth, one or the other. Uh-huh. I can see. Um, that. There were parts of both that were done really well. I think there was a line that still I can still remember even now. There was a line that Otis or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, he said about halfway through the movie, he's getting ready to kill a guy. And the dude's praying for deliverance. Said, "I am the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's work." And then he kills the guy. It's like that was a pretty neat line. I like that. <laughs> give, give me more of that. Give me more of that, and I like this movie. Mm-hmm. But it's just—it just felt disjointed. You know, it would go from like a super serious scene of him getting chased through the woods to this black comedy of like he's wearing the guy's face and he runs in and tries to get a kiss from his wife. It's like I'm down for either. But pick one. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I, that was a good line. Yeah. Oh, that was a great line. It made me perk up in my chair. It's like I was kind of dozing off, just oh, kind of watching oh, it. Oh, it was that bad. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that was good. Give me some more of that. Uh, all right. Who you got next? Uh, up next, this is 
this is actually the reason why I wanted to have this conversation is because I was catching up on y'all's podcast oh, and <laughs> heard some very cross words about my boy Stephen I, King. You know, I told uh, Alex that if you listen to it, I told Alex that you would be pissed. <laughs> well, I, no, I wasn't pissed. It, it's actually it's interesting to get somebody with a a negative opinion about Stephen King because there's not that many of them out there. Yeah, like he's kind of a he's a lot like the George R. R. Martin of Hollywood in that he's or horror, excuse me, not Hollywood, in that I feel he's a little bit overrated. Like uh-huh. he has he's exceptionally talented, and the worlds he creates are fantastic. But he has his weak spots. He has his blind spots, and I wanted to kind of expand on that a little bit talk a little bit more about it okay um because there there really wasn't that much um immediately in that episode as far as like i think it was y'all talked about it for like two or three minutes yeah um before i get started because i'm be going for probably a little while what is your thoughts on stephen king as a writer as a director as an actor because he like cameos in all of his movies okay so well here here's my theory i love one of my favorite things that a writer or a visionary can do, like one of the things that I want to do, is create a world and then after the world have different books, but they all take place in that world. So with that said, he pretty much made sure that he everyone knows that he's from Maine or New Hampshire. I think oh, yeah. Where so you everyone knows. Castle Rock, you know, every, everyone knows that he's from that area and that's his world. So I admire that. Now, with that said, I've never read I never read one of his books. I've never I've watched a lot of movies that he's, you know, that well, what is it called? Appertations? I can't even speak. What is that word? Fuck. Adaptations? Adaptations of his okay, books. Okay, I thought you speaking Latin for a second there like what the fuck? Now, I um I've looked up not looked up. I've watched a lot of his uh, you know, all these movies. I say his movies, but they're really not his uh his movies. But I um I enjoy it. I think uh the storylines are great. Um but it it's just hard for me. He is predominantly an author, so it's hard for me to weigh in on this because I don't really I never really read his books. Now, with that said, I think the best if if the movies were exactly like the books, I think the best um Probably the best, one of the best ones is the Shawshank, and that's not even a horror. But right. since you know, but but if you're just speaking on horror, horror alone, mm-hmm. I mean, my favorite story would probably have to be Dreamcatcher. I mean, that's which a, is interesting because that's one I actually haven't read. I've never read yeah. Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher, it's because it's like it's a world inside of its own world, and it's like a weird, it's a weird movie. It, it could. It's crazy because I don't know if he made multiple books of Dreamcatcher, but he you can expand on that and literally just like make th- three or four other you know cheesy horror movies, but Dreamcatcher one, two, three, all those. It's just a good uh, it's a it's a good flick, but I don't know. I don't really have a issue with him. So it is I do say it is weird to hear people that do have issues with him, but not. No, to me, it makes perfect sense. I'm going to give you a lowdown on what to expect reading a Stephen King book because they all follow a very similar formula. Um, it's usually set in Maine, usually Castle Rock, Maine, which is an imaginary town that he created. Yeah, you would think people would just bulldoze that fucking town, all the kinds of crazy stuff that goes on there. Um, 
but you're going to have a whole gigantic cast of characters and they all have this odd way of talking, this odd way of di- of saying their dialogue that comes off as almost surreal because it's close to what a normal person would say, but just off enough, it kind of throws you off. But not so that it takes you out of the story. It seems organic and it just succeeds in kind of creeping you out. There will be at least one like absolutely buttfuck insane psychopath there who usually turns out to be the main antagonist of the story, just run around killing people. Uh, there's usually some kind of supernatural element. Uh, if there is evil in the town, everybody will know about it and they'll do nothing about it. There's a terrible ending, usually, um, and not a whole lot of, ca- of payoff for all the character arcs throughout the story. That's one thing Stephen King's always really struggled with is writing the ending to his own story. Um, it just kind of either just ends or there's this like sudden thing that sur- that just shows up in the middle of the story and kills the bad guy and saves the world. One of my favorite one of his stories, which is The Stand, actually ends like that, spoiler alert. Just guy just literally just walks in with a nuclear bomb and just blows himself up and kills everybody in the story and saves the world just right. like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, never mind that we were building up this massive showdown between the literal, like, imagination of good and evil. Like, these two, the new Satan and the new angels of, of heaven and all this kind of stuff. Nope, just bring in a guy with a nuke and he just fucking nukes everybody. Um, but what brings me always back to Stephen King, and I've been through it through the ups and downs. I've read almost a hundred of his books, and he is an insanely prolific author. He's put out hundreds and hundreds of books throughout his lifetime. His characters, his dialogue, and the weird, messed up shit that he comes up with keeps me coming back. Well, but it's that messed... What's up? He's fucked up in the head. <laughs> he is. And his, like, 10-year struggle with cocaine addiction and alcoholism and smoking and all this kind of stuff has not only inspired some of his best stories, but also explained some of his best stories. One of... My favorite of his shorter novels is called Cujo, and you've probably seen it because there's a movie out about it. Yeah. Um, that book he wrote in one weekend, submitted it without editing or anything, and it just got published, but he claims to not remember writing it. He just went on a three-day coke binge, and he woke up, and the novel was sitting there finished and ready to go. Wow. And if you read it, you can see, like, this is obviously a man who's off his fucking mind on cocaine, but a man who's very talented at what he does. Well, I think it's crazy because he just he can he writes books so fast. Like mm-hmm. like um so if you listen to that podcast I did with Alex, um you know, he me and him uh one of my one of my hobbies and I've told you before is I like to write. I I do like mm-hmm. to write. I have I can do outlines, I can do a good name, I can do a good synopsis. I just can't really finish the writing. And it it would take me like it would probably take me a good solid like six to seven, maybe six to eight months to finish my one story that I told you about. And that's what me and right. me and Alex were talking about. So like for him to just kind of like push these books out and these are not, I mean, and that's only like 20 chapters. So his books are way up there. I mean, what are you saying? What, what do you, how many pages do you think some of his books are? The longest book of his I ever read was the unabridged version of The Stand, and I think it was just over 1,400 pages. Yeah, I mean, like, so imagine imagine sitting down and 
going through a scenario in your head of like if you want to create something like oh man like I like horror movies imagine if this killer just burst through this window and grabbed the lady by this you know so that's just one little pit like one little scene he writes a whole damn world about it and so I give him credit where it's due I haven't read his books but the fact that he can write them so fast that's that's pretty outrageous mm-hmm. and well that's the thing that <sighs> He writes these amazing stories with all these amazing characters and just all these crazy twists and stuff, but I, I feel like him writing so fast, it leaves a lot of... Sp- the way I like to use it, the metaphor I like to use, and one of the reasons why I, like you, kind of struggle with writing a bit, because I like to write as well, um, I look at ideas like bricks. You and I are both really good at coming up, like making bricks, mm-hmm. like the, the the ideas and story ideas we swap back and forth. You know, we're great at building bricks, but writing is kind of the essence of laying the bricks and applying the mortar. And that's the problem is I can't really get mortar, and you can't build a house without with just a bunch of bricks. It goes gets blown over in a stiff wind. Mm-hmm. Stephen King is a really great builder. He lays down bricks and he lays out mortar really fast. But he lays out that stuff so fast, I feel like his buildings are always full of holes. Like, they're never airtight. There are so many plot holes, and then there are well, spots you, in the story where... What's up? Do you think he gets away with it because he's Stephen King? Definitely now. Uh, if you read a lot of his earlier stories when he was first getting started out, his stories are airtight. They're yeah. not as crazy. They're not as off the wall. They're not as imaginative as some of his older stuff. But that's, I feel like, because he didn't have any other choice. It's like you either tighten this up, you make it flawless, or we're not dealing with you. Well, you're selling yourself to editors. So he's probably, that's what he's doing. Um, but now, like I said, he's popping them out like once every two years or once every year. So he's, mm-hmm. so he must be rushing. He's doing the, uh, the end of Game of Thrones thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem <laughs> is he's become the John Grisham of the horror genre. Everybody knows who John Grisham is. And people will buy a book that has his name on it, no matter what the book is. Like, I'm guilty of that as well. I was actually in an airport. I was flying up to New York City and looking through the, like, little book rack in the duty-free shop. And there was a John Grisham book there called Grey Mountain. And anyone who's ever read that book knows that book is a pile of fucking shit. But I bought it because it's like, oh, I've never, I've never disliked anything I've read from John Grisham. This will be great. It wasn't. It was fucking awful. I'm pretty sure it was ghost-written. And I've had experiences like that with Stephen King before, where there are these incredible books that just take me on this amazing journey, and he's so creative in all the stuff he thinks up. His short stories are nine times out of ten incredible. But there's that one-in-a-million book. Like, with me, it was The Dark Half, which is a story about... a a writer because all of his fucking characters are writers um, who writes a bad guy for a story that's like him but evil and the bad guy comes to life and starts killing people close to him Mm. like I I forget if he gets like struck by lightning or some shit like that but the bad guy in his story comes to life and you know all the suspicion starts falling on him because he looks just like him and all this is it's a weird fucking story that goes nowhere um but for every one of those, what's up? No, I'm listening. I'm going on. See, I, I you know, sadly, I, I feel like I need to read a Stephen King book. I feel like I'm missing out here. It's, it's, it, you really are because the film adaptations of Stephen King's books 
a solid, I think, seven to eight out of ten of every one that is made is complete dog shit, especially the older movies. Like well, people, like the older, like Carrie and you know, Pet Cemetery. These are movies that um, I agree. I feel like they dropped the ball. I, I didn't actually mind the original Carrie. I hated the remake. Okay, but I think the original probably got as close as they're going to get to faithfully ad- like adapting the story. Mm-hmm. A lot of Stephen King's books, they have these really imaginative, really crazy sequences that just don't translate to film. Like I've told you a million times about it. There's the like preteen gangbang in the sewer. You know, I, that was probably he was off his fucking mind on cocaine when he wrote that. That does not, for obvious reasons, translate to uh, to the silver screen. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll come out in the sequel. I don't know. But I feel like there's certain authors that are better off staying authors. Like, I know the money is there for film adaptations. You get paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's some authors who shouldn't take the money. They should say, no, I'm going to leave it well, in the pages. It's easy to say that, but... Imagine if someone just came up to you and was like, I'll give you a million dollars. Oh, I'm, I'm not a hero by any means. I take the <laughs> fucking money, you know? I'm, I'm not saying that, I, that I'd be different, you know, that I'm somehow above but it. I know what you're saying. I, I feel like, you know, there's, there should be, it's basically, it's not selling out, but it's kind of selling out. You know, like, as an author, like, like not all of Stephen King's books are movies. And I mm-hmm. hope people know that. And, you know, which which is good. They're not all movies, but sometimes, I mean, it's just... I don't know. I don't know. Well, well, here's what really scares me. Uh, there was a time, I think in the late 80s, when Stephen King was really taking off, and he was becoming a national brand. Uh, his editors, he, he submitted a whole bunch of scripts to him, basically kind of like the Shawshank Redemption that weren't traditional horror, mm-hmm. and they were denied. They said, what is this? You know, write a horror book. We can't sell this. So he created an alter ego, or I guess, uh, what's that name? It's like an alias, I guess? Yeah, an alias. Yeah, an alias to kind of take the rap, to kind of... He wanted to see, for one, if his books would sell regardless, and two, you know, get them out there, put them out there so that way they're not just sitting in a shelf somewhere. And that name was Richard Bachman. Now, I've read all but one of Richard Bachman's books, because the first one he ever wrote is called Rage. It's out of publication now because it got found. It was kind of like a Catcher in the Rye. It got found on a bunch of school shooters, and he oh, just wow. he pulled it from circulation. Just well, it, I can kind of understand that because it's a story about a kid who was abused and bullied by his classmates. He goes in with a gun and takes everybody hostage and starts laying out all the terrible shit they did to him and starts killing people and stuff. I can understand why he wanted to pull it. But every other one of his books, of the Bachman books as they're called, is fucking amazing, dude. Mm-hmm. It's legitimately an amazing story. And one of my absolute favorite Stephen King things I've ever written is a Bachman book called The Long Walk. Oh, I don't know. I I've may heard, have I've, mentioned it to I've you heard of The Long Walk. Well, you've probably heard of it because they're making a film adaptation, and that scares the shit out of me. Uh, with Nowadays, it doesn't. Back 15 years ago, maybe. But nowadays, I have faith in the horror world because what's going on nowadays. But uh, well, here's eh. the problem. What? Here's the problem. That it's because of the particular story that's that's written. Uh, the Long Walk is basically 
the Hunger Games, but not for whiny baby man children. Okay. Um, it's set in this weird ass dystopian future where America's fucked, basically. Uh, and to kind of take the minds off of how fucked everything is, once a year, a hundred boys between the ages of 14 and 18 basically start walking down this highway. Mm-hmm. And they keep walking until there's only one left. Wow. And once you start walking, you either win or you die. And there are some really, really fucked up deaths in there. There's these amazing characters, these huge emotional journeys, and the the acknowledgement that you get attached to all these wonderful characters and only one of them is getting out alive, and it might not even be the one that you're particularly rooting for. It's an amazing story, but I'm really worried about it specifically because of what I mentioned first. Age 14, 18. Little boys. They'll, American, they'll change it. American teenagers are not good actors. No. There, there's not that many good ones. I think the only decent... Well, the kids from It actually did a pretty good job uh, and from Stranger Things and stuff, but those are like kids, kids. Teenagers, I'm worried about. Well, I mean, what they'll do is they'll hire 20-year-olds that look 16-year-olds and call it a day. And that's fine. If that gets the job done, I don't give a fuck. But oh, that, to me, it seems like the most adaptable Stephen King story. There's no supernatural elements. There's no like weird, trippy, surrealist shit. It's literally just a bunch of kids walking down a road. Some of them are going to die. That's it. Wow. I'm excited. I'm, exci- I'm worried. Well, now I'm excited just because you yeah. just gave me the synopsis. I, I kind of know what's mm-hmm. going on about it, so now I'm really excited. Um, mm-hmm. I know is I know that you want to keep sucking Stephen King's dick right now, but we're gonna absolutely we're gonna um, <laughs> we're gonna move on. But before we move on, Griffin, do you know what mm-hmm. time it is? Oh Christ! It is time for my to hear a message from our sponsor. All right, so Griffin, I have I have a. A director for you. Yeah, you, you take over for a little bit. Jesus Christ, I'm going to lose uh, my voice. Well, you know, you were talking... When you're passionate and in love with someone, you talk a lot about uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. real quick. So, uh, Sam Raimi. Oh, uh, yeah. I should have known this was coming. I mean, you know, I'm trying to pick... Uh, you know, like I said, there's two, maybe three obvious directors that everyone will pick. Uh-huh. Yes. But let me pick some good ones that are that are hidden hidden away. Some little gems. Sam Raimi, and it's crazy. I, out of all the movies that he's directed and produced, the one movie that I love that's in it's it's one of my favorite movies, um, of all times. And when I say one of them, I said top ten because I have a lot of favorite mm-hmm. movies. But um, it's uh he produced this movie called Thirty Days of Night. Oh. God, such oh, a yeah. good, and they filmed it good. If they directed it good, it was a good horror movie. But anyway, Sam Raimi, one of the few decent vampire movies. If you don't know who I'm talking about, uh, Evil Dead series. I mean, you know, you got to know what Evil Dead is. I mean, TV show, everything under the sun. He uh, he had one movie that wasn't successful horror wise. It was uh, Drag Me to Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was a joke. But uh, he also did film uh, this horror movie called uh, Super- uh, was it Spider-Man. Huh? Hi, see what I did was, there? See what I did there? Was that him? Yeah, he directed all three Spider-Mans. Holy shit, that's yeah. Sam Raimi? Oh, the, my God. The future, the, 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 the first 
you know, like the Tobey Maguire Spider Man. That's what that's what we call them. Yeah, anyway, I, I had no idea they were the same people. See, Jesus Christ! This brings me back to the point that I made earlier, that I think, um, because those movies weren't bad when they came out. They broke records, man. They did pretty. They did a really good job. Obviously, Marvel now is dominating everything. But when they came out, they were there was nothing like it before. So they did an amazing job. So the fact that these little indie films, like Evil Dead, was a little indie film that he he filmed with his brother on a hand, like a, a camcorder, and then like he's produced like you know so many other horror movies. Um, this guy would make a you know a comic book movie, and it's kind of it was kind of crazy. But that's why I put him on my list because, you know, it's not his filming style. I, well, because that's, that's a unique style, but I do love that style. And 30 Days a Night, obviously, is one of my favorites. But the reason why I have him on my list is the fact that he can go from – I'm going to tell you a scene that happens in Evil Dead. He can go from a tree raping a woman in the woods to Spider-Man kissing Mary Jane upside down in the rain. Yeah, that's a hell of a lot of range. <laughs> like – you know, uh, now since Spider-Man, he really hasn't did too much. Um, like I said, he's been doing a lot of the TV shows, like Ash versus Evil Dead. That's I think a TV show right now. Uh, actually, it's I think it's over. I think it might actually. It actually... Well, I've I've actually been kind of keeping up with Sam Raimi's career these yeah. past couple of years, and he has been making movies. Um, most of them have been commercial and critical failures of a kind or another. Um, it's one thing I got to give Sam Raimi credit for like him or hate him. And I'm not the world's biggest fan of him. The man is very passionate about this one subgenre of horror, uh, Italian exploitation slash gore films. Oh yes. Um, I think they're called Giallo films or something like mm -hmm. that. He's a huge, huge fan of them and refuses to change that aspect of his films. Now, the quality of the films is a little suspect. You got stuff like the Green Inferno and the Hostel series and all this kind of shit. But I can at least respect the man who's dedicated enough to his craft to keep doing it even when it doesn't work. Yeah. Although that that same thing could be said about Michael Bay, and I fucking hate Michael Bay. Well, it's um, it's, it's like I know it's your I know after Sam Raimi it's your turn to pick, but it's so mm -hmm. funny that you were talking about. Hostile and Green mm -hmm. Inferno and stuff because that was going to be my next director but I'll let you go <laughs> well isn't that actually isn't that Sam Raimi no that's not that's a different guy oh really yeah and I'll tell you who that person is after you finish talking <laughs> oh shit no no I'll, no I'll kick it back to you man I gotta, I gotta talk about this kind of stuff um, but, never mind but Sam Raimi yes he is versatile he can do a lot of things and that's that's pretty cool and I love that he does stick with that it is gore because uh, it's very, very gorish, his um, evil dead. I mean, this guy cuts his own arm off because it's, it's trying to kill him. It's possessed. But he, mm -hmm. he does have a unique film style. But next on my list, which I was going to say, is a, a gentleman called Eli Roth. Ah, that's who it is. Son of a bitch. And I want to <laughs> give credit where credit's due. Back in the 70s and 80s, they, there was gore films. They were called grindhouse films. Okay. And they were called Grindhouse, I think, if I, I could be butchering this history, but what I remember, because I love the Grindhouse films, they're cheap 80s, 70s and 80s films that you can go buy or go to a movie theater for like three bucks, two bucks, and you can just see, it's a it's like four films in one thing, it's called, it's, it's a house of films, but it's all like gory, fucking bloody and everything, 
And um, mm-hmm. I used to go out and buy them after. So later, I think in the 2000s, uh, Quentin Tarantino and Eli Roth directed a movie. Well, actually, no, he was in a movie, but Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez directed Grindhouse. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, which had two films back to back, and they were filmed like they were back in the 70s and uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. But anyway, look, I'm getting sidetracked. What the fuck was I talking about? Keep me on, keep me on track. You were talking about Eli Roth and yes. his illustrious career. Oh, I well, got him fucking confused for well, Sam Raimi. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Well, the thing that, all right, so where the credit I want to give him is that I feel like. When he came out with Hostel, there really mm-hmm. wasn't any – there was films like that, but they're over in Japan and France. There really wasn't too many like torturing and gory films. Like people weren't getting – like he, he showed it. And um, he he did Cabin Fever, which mm-hmm. was uh, probably one of, one of the best – I mean one of them. I mean Cabin Fever is great. Like did you ever see Cabin Fever? I have not. Well, there's a scene in Cabin Fever. It doesn't spoil anything, but there's there's a scene. Well, if you read the back of a DVD, this is what it would say. It's a fre- fre- flesh-eating virus that gets put into this lake, and these are the kids that go to the lake. And so basically there's a scene where this girl, she gets the, fre- the flesh-eating virus, and this guy is, like, fingering her, making out with her in the bedroom, and, like, he pulls his hand up, and it's like her vagina is on his hand slipping down slowly like i mean this is some fucked up shit but it's mm-hmm. amazing and so it's like he started he did that and then the hostel thing just went out. oh my god i remember everybody talking about hostel like yeah that yeah take what i said about sam raimi and superimpose it on eli roth that's who i was actually talking about um that whole thing about going way way too over the top like finding the limit and then just drop kicking and curb stomping the fucking limit even though I hate it, like it actually, there's parts of his movies that are actually fucking disgusting and actually make me nauseous. I love that he's committed to it, basically, because he's been getting the shit kicked out of him the whole time for this. It's been critical commercial failures. There have been people trying to boycott his movies, trying to get him an NC-17 rating, get him banned from the theaters. He says, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to keep making the movies. You know, I keep like, I like the movies. You know, he's been working with Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, Rob Zombie, all these kinds of people trying to make better, gorier films. And I'm always a fan of that. Oh, I yeah. hate overly sanitized films. Well, he was, so, he was in, um, Inglorious Bastards. He's also an actor, by the way. Yes. He yes. was, he was in Inglorious Bastards and, uh, he, he had a great scene with a baseball bat. Oh yeah. So, the uh, bear Jew. Yeah. So, um, which by the way, Inglorious Bastards, that the second part of Inglorious Bastard was the best. When you actually meet the soldiers, the American soldiers, just the shit they were doing. That was, I mm-hmm. wish that whole movie was just about them, not just about the Nazis and everything else. So, but that's my own little opinion. Go on. Yeah, yeah, great film. But uh, I, I don't understand though. As, as much as I just defended what he does. There's there's always a scene in every Eli Roth film that I watch that it's not even like gory, it's not even sadistic or fucked up, it's just gross. Like there's mm. a scene in The Green Inferno. Well that movie's it's actually fucked this, up. <laughs> well the scene that, that I dropped, you know, I was 
I was uncomfortable in the best possible way when they're just eating people. Like they're just ripping people apart alive yeah. and eating them and stuff. It's like, okay, this is nice and fucked up. I like this. But there's a scene where one of the characters, one of the like regular people characters, gets violent diarrhea and just has to squat down in the open and take a shit in front of everybody. And there's like all these nasty sound effects and everybody's looking gross and stuff. It's like, what the hell is the point of this? What does this add to the movie? Like, I just, it's just fucking disgusting. I mean, I agree with you. I feel like maybe that's just, he wanted to just make people like throw up. He wants to make people sick. I think that's that, you know, to some people that's a turn on. Like I've, I have a friend whose boyfriend is a horror film director. He's done many short films and mm-hmm. um, in fact, I'm going to try my best to get him on a, a podcast, by the way. That's a little hint. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so he's done short films and stuff, and he, he's talked about how the, the gore genre is like, if you're going to do the gore genre, you got to go balls to the wall. You got you to gotta do some crazy shit. And, and people that really love gore dramas or gore movies, they want to mm-hmm. see shit to make them sick. And I think that's probably what he was going for. That's probably what he was mm-hmm. going for. Well, I, I guess my, my main complaint, have you ever seen, there's a French film out there called Martyrs. Have you ever seen it? I have heard of it, but I have not seen it. Okay. Do you intend on watching it? I can. Okay. Well, then I'm not going to spoil it for you, but there, that, that is a, that is a movie that I think kicks the shit out of every little Eli Roth film, every other one of these gory movies, because not only is it impeccably well acted, it's well written it's legitimately fucked up and disturbing, but the gore in it, while being extremely like horrifying and gross, I think is amplified by the fact that a lot of it you don't see or don't see explicitly. Like, so the, the few scenes where it's actually on screen, it's happening, it's not getting any special attention drawn to it, it's just existing, is so fucked up. Like, there's another film called, I think it's Son of Saul. It's a Holocaust movie. Mm-hmm. And they do the same thing where not, almost nothing is shown on scene, or at least like up front in front of the camera. Oftentimes it's following the main character's face. And then in the background, you see all these atrocities happening, like people getting put up in front of firing squads and getting beaten to death and buried alive and all this kind of stuff. To me, it's much more compelling and a lot more fucked up because you don't see it or you have to fill in the details yourself or you have to strain to catch the details of what's happening which is one of the reasons one of the things I feel is lost from like an Eli Roth film yeah it can be an entertaining movie you can be impressed with the practical effects and stuff but as an actual like engrossing horror experience where you're getting like uncomfortable you're pissed off you're like this is fucked up I think it falls flat because it's so over the top so ridiculous that it loses a lot of its impact I think I think horror movie like speaking as of right now 2019 I think horror the horror genre is kind of going back to that I think that they're having more death and they're more having more psychological and more fucked up things that way than gore throwing a pound of pound of blood of of somebody on there corn syrup with red dye Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I I hear what you're saying I gotcha you don't you're not a huge fan of Eli Roth Whatever. Well, I, yep, yep. I like what he's doing. I like <laughs> the changes that he's bringing. Yeah. 
And I think that he needs to keep doing what he's doing. I think he's doing a great thing for the horror genre, even if I don't particularly care for his films. Yeah. Well, but uh, oof, oh, that hurts. That was hard for, yeah. horrific. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of blood in that one, I think. Um, but I feel that ultimately he's just kind of setting up. He's basically like he's the warm-up actor. He's the hype man. Mm-hmm. Like he's not the main act himself. I've, I haven't really ever seen an Eli Roth film with the exception of maybe the first Hostel yeah. that I was like legitimately impressed by at the end. It's like this is a great movie. I want to see this again. Yeah, I like that ending. That was a good ending. It was. It was it was well put up. The fact that they had to fucking what is this? Let's see. Hostel two. Something ah. like that. Where he like he refused to direct it or something? Yeah, I think he produced it and well he just wanted that one hit wonder more or less. He doesn't like to make sequels, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um but So what's who you uh, got who you got next? Oh Christ! Put me on the spot. Um, well, I just hmm. want, I just want two, so at least give me one. Okay. All right. Let's let's talk about how much I fucking hate zombies, and let's talk about uh, George. Whoa, a. Romero. whoa, 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 whoa! Don't be pulling this guy. This guy. Yep, I'm going there. I'm going there. I fucking hate zombies. As an antagonist in a film, they're boring. They're way overused. Uh huh. And oftentimes it's just a plot device. Pisses me off. Um, I actually just stopped watching halfway through a Korean zombie film because it was made by the same guy. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't. Completely different guy, but it was a similar movie to one of my favorite zombie movies, which is Train to Busan. It's a South Korean zombie movie. Fantastic movie. Um, But it's a film called Rampant. It's on Netflix. Set back... Well, it's set back in Korea, you know, way back in when when they had swords and shit. Yeah. And it just shows zombies are so fucking boring, dude. They never... It's just they run at things. They make a... kind of sound. They bite people. That's it. That's all they can do. That's the only trick they have. Okay. You know, there's there's no variety, man. It's like you, you see one zombie movie. We, no, you see two zombie movies. You see the slow zombies, like a classic Romero zombie, and then you see the fast zombies like, you know, World War Z or something like that. And then you've seen every fucking zombie movie. They're okay. all the same. <laughs> defend this to me. I want to hear you defend okay. zombies to me. Oh, I mean, is it is it my turn? Yeah, I it wish not. I wish you could see my face right now. I'm just smiling, just, la- just listening. I, I want to hear it. So, I want to hear it. Let's let's hear it. Uh, for the for the listeners at home, um I am a in, I'm the opposite of what Griffin's talking about. I adore zombies. I actually uh, partaked in a writing of a short story for a zombie. It was a video. You can watch it up on YouTube. And um, I actually have the date of the zombie apocalypse tattooed on me. So let's let's talk about some fucking zombies, Griffin. Here we go. All right. All, All right. right. So to what you said, I agree. I do agree. I do feel like, you know, there is really only two, maybe three types of zombies out there in the world. And there's only that means there's only two to three types of movies you can make with zombies. So I do agree mm-hmm. with you on that. I also agree um, that the plot for every zombie movie is relatively the same. You know, there you never really know how it starts. How zombies are they're just fucking there and they just start killing mm-hmm. people, and mm-hmm. you never 
you know, there's really never any solution. It's always left open. Like even if like, oh, I found the cure, but that guy dies. So there's always there's always something that goes on. And obviously there's always a zombie that's eating someone's arm, a, a bite out of their arm. Like literally mm-hmm. every movie. But Yeah, and then they try and hide the bite and then halfway <laughs> through they change into a fucking yeah. zombie and bite somebody else. Like, oh, so Jesus I agree. That is again. that is the obvious you know the obvious thing for zombie movies. But when you go into a movie here, let me give you a good analogy. When you go in okay, I'm gonna go see a Disney movie. You already know that you're going to laugh. You already know that you're going to have a good time. So you go in thinking that already. You expect it. So mm-hmm. when I'm just doing nothing or if I'm just, you know, if I just want to be scared or if I just want to have something that's, I don't know, just something simple, like not intelligent zombies. That's why I do it because I'm not intelligent. <laughs> I love zombie mm-hmm. movies because of that. But, okay, let's look at the facts. So George A. Romero, he is an amazing well, I wouldn't say he's an amazing director. I've seen better films. Um, I wouldn't, you know, give him an Academy Award or anything. But he did start something. Well, he didn't really start it, but he brought it to public, the zombie thing, like to the general public. And, you know, the thing about zombies are, is two things that happens for me in the zombie film that you did not mention that make zombie films great for me. The first thing is the people. So when... Zombies are supposed to represent the end of the world. There's nobody to help you. There's no one to save you. So that means the wor- so you're going to meet other people that are just evil. They're all- everyone's trying to survive and everyone's looking out for numero number uno. They're looking out for themselves. So with that said, people versus people actually happen more in zombie films than ever. So I like seeing that. I like seeing the the people like the the meat like all right, so one of George A. Romero's last movies they made was a land, land of Dead. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so it's in his zombie world. The zombie, everyone knows the zombies are there. They're not really worried about it. They have, they have their own city. It's, it's marked off. Everything's cool. So that inevitably, if zombies were to take over, that would eventually happen. Like people, the, the strong will survive and the strong would protect the weak and the weak would, you know, try to pay or do what they can for the strong. Um, but – right. It's just that's one with the train, right? Like yeah. the armored train. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, the thing, you know, so it actually pushes people to their limits, and that's that's one of the things I like about the zombie flicks. Now, the, the actual zombies themselves, I love that there's other options. I think because the slow zombie can be just as scary as I'm a big fat guy. I can run, but after mm-hmm. probably about twenty to thirty yards, I'm going to be trying to hide because I can't really run that far. Yeah. Um, now knowing so fast zombies scared the shit out of me because then I, I you know you're always so used to slow zombies so as soon as you start seeing like fast zombies um, it scares the living shit out of me now one story one movie that he was involved with is called The Crazies and that is probably the scariest thing about uh, so have you ever seen The Crazies I have not no all right, so the crazies is—it's a zombie flick. It's basically a zombie flick, but it's actually like a parasite or something that gets into the water that people drink, and people start going crazy and just start murdering people. They don't—they don't, um, you know. So they're, they're dead. They die, but they start—they mm-hmm. come back, but they don't eat you. They don't need to eat you. They just 
are fucking enraged. Like they're they're just ready to just kill and kill and kill. And I think that's pretty. That's a cool zombie outlook. But I mean, how can you not like a zombie film? It's simple. It's fun. You you see, uh, it's a it's a it's a. You already know the zombie story. So when you go mm-hmm. to a zombie movie, you know what to expect. So now they're being more creative. So if you see any zombie flicks coming out in the next couple of years, they have to be more creative to pull in the audience because they already have stacked things against them. So I think the next bunch of zombie films are going to be even more amazing. I really hope so. I, I like I, I don't just dismiss movies out of hand and I like it when movies are good. I don't like it when movies are shit. My main problem, I guess I would say, with zombie films, you know how when we used to talk about Marvel stuff, yeah, uh, we would always bitch about how there's always a fight scene at the end where the hero or heroes has to fight this giant crowd of just nameless dudes, yeah, and they they only exist to get like punched and they instantly die. That's the entire fucking movie in a zombie movie. There's never any, and that's one of the things I actually liked about Land of the Dead is they resisted the urge to have all these nameless, faceless zombies. There was a couple of zombies, like the the big black guy with the machine gun and stuff, yeah. who started showing a lot more intelligence. And they became kind of these interesting chaos theory kind of antagonists. They just show up and just change everything you thought about zombies. Well, see, So it's, it's funny you bring that up, because I actually like Land of the Dead. I think that was a really great take on the zombie movie. Well, see, that's like he created a war, a world. Remember we talked about it with Stephen King? Mm-hmm. Um, basically, like, he created a world. So George A. Romero created a world. And his world, you know, was it Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, you know, all these movies, and then Land of the Dead. And then there was another movie that really didn't get high praise. I actually went straight to DVD, I think. It's called uh, Diary of the Dead. It's It's literally two kids filming the zombie apocalypse when it first happens. So it's a, you know, so these are movies that he made. So he made all these movies in the same universe. And I, I agree with you. I, you know, I, I totally forgot about that, that they started to evolve. Like, I think if he was still alive and he really wanted to make another film, it would be another dead movie. And I think a director should take it over and just take what he has made and definitely make it like, um, you know, like, what would you do if zombies definitely evolved? Like they're, you know... Well, that's actually one of the one of my favorite little stories that has no connection to any wider universe is uh, I Am Legend, the book, not the movies. I wasn't a huge fan of the movies. Uh, Will Smith did an okay job. But, but the original wasn't the book called like Omega Man or something, or like one. Uh, it might have been originally. I just I know when I picked it up, it was after the movie it came out because it had okay. Will Smith on the cover, um, and it was called I Am Legend, but. The entire book is about this guy who is not Will Smith. He's some scientist dude, and he's trying to figure out the origins of the vampire plague in order to, I don't know, create a cure or something like that. Just looking for purpose, basically. And as the film, as the book starts to go on, he starts to see that there are some vampires that are like the vampires of old, like they sit in caskets and shit like that, and they can't come out in daytime. And then there's other ones that are almost closer to zombies. They're these mindless little automatons you know and the ones that are closer to vampires they can actually talk they have memories from before they were dead you know they they're but they're weak to garlic and mirrors and that kind of stuff whereas the zombies they're just these mindless things they're not traditional vampires they're just meat puppets so to speak and as the book goes on towards the end his 
house actually comes under siege from these intelligent vampires who are starting a new civilization. They start, like, ethnically cleansing the fucking meat zombie vampires, you know, because they're just, they're a threat to their new world, and they have this new civilization, and they capture the guy and take him prisoner, and they're, put him in front of a trial and stuff. And he says, you know, I'm the last real person. They said, well, real people don't exist anymore. You're the monster. You're the myth. You know, wow. you are the legend. We're starting this new world without you. And you will be kind of like the sacrifice that takes us into this new world. I, I loved that. I love seeing the these mindless fucking like horror movie tropes getting turned into this real civilization where it turns out that the main character is actually the bad guy. He's like, he's a fucking serial killer. Yeah. He stalks around in the daytime and just murders people. You know, these vampires who are just trying to live. See, like, what, what you're explaining to me is just more of like, you want evolution of zombies. You want smarter zombies. You want them to be able to actually do shit and not just walk in, in a herd because they heard a sound. My big my big problem with zombie movies is that because zombies are so fucking stupid yeah. and their rules are so set and entrenched, usually, I'm not going to say all the time because there's definitely a movie or two that has changed this, but usually conflict comes from the human characters fucking up and making stupid decisions, and I hate that. I hate forced See, conflict. I, I love it. I love the stupid decisions. See, I'm, I'm mindless. I, I'm mindless. <laughs> Maybe I am a zombie. I just like, I love the, I love the, the feel of it. I think the, the thing that makes me love the zombies so much, hands down, is the fact that, so I can close my eyes. Okay, a seal, okay, okay. What would I do if a serial killer came after me? How can I, how can I survive a serial killer? How can I survive this? You know how cool it is to talk to your friends? How can I survive a zombie attack? Well, I would go to the nearest Walmart. We would do this, blah, 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 blah. You, you, have a, you feel like you have a better chance survive, if, like surviving in a zombie attack than you do if Dracula came because he's, he's OP and he's going to mm -hmm. do something. Or if a alien, aliens come down here. I feel like zombies, is the, it's, like, it's like all it is is people. They're not really stronger than you. They're just as strong as they were before they died. So you can just shoot them and they're dead. But everything else is so far-fetched, and I think that's what draws me to the zombies. So, Yeah, I can respect it. George A. Romero, I love you. I don't know about Griffin. So. I, I, don't, I don't hate him. <laughs> you <laughs> he, gotta he respect did what he had to do. All right, well, we're going to end this one for part one, but stay tuned for part two of this director in... Uh, what the fuck? Arthur's. Yeah, I know. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, the thing, you know, of course. The thing. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Are you not going to say goodbye? See y'all next week. Are you not going nope, nope. to fucking say goodbye? You're an asshole. No, nah, fuck them. They'll be back. Damn. Come on.